We, we're coming to the first book of 66 books. So we have a little ways to go. But this is an exciting book. Genesis, as, as it opens up, as it, as it begins, begins with a very bold statement. The statement that Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, gives speaks of one who is outside of time. In the beginning, God. John 1 1 and verse, uh, verses, that's all right, you, you got it. John 1 1, there we go. There's a lot of slides today, so bear with them back there. They are doing a great job. I appreciate it. But John, John 1, 1 declares something amazing about this God who is communicating with you and I. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being. Open your Bibles to that very first book. It's an easy one to find. You just have to get past the table of contents there. And in your Bibles, you will turn to the very first book of the Bible, Genesis. And it opens with this statement, this bold statement about our God. In the beginning, God. You got to understand that there was something that was beginning, but before that was God. And this is the God that you and I have the wonderful opportunity to worship, to serve, to know. And as we go through the pages of scriptures, we will discover how he is making himself known to you and I. But in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1 and, and chapter 2 are an amazing unfolding of how God created everything we know. And it says that he did it through his word. He spoke and it existed. That's power. That's our God that we come to. Six days he created the world around us, but on the sixth day there was the pinnacle of his creation. Mankind. I want to read this for you. Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. Listen to what it says. This is the pinnacle. Up until this point, everything has been good. It has been good. When he finished day six, after this, he says, it's very good. Verse 26 says, then God said, let us, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and all the earth. And over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. 
God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on earth. You and I, in this creative event of God, were his pinnacle. We were the masterpiece of this. And everything else, God spoke into existence. But when it came to you and I, his hands reached down and formed man. And then he breathed the breath of life. Psalms, when we get there, we'll discover once again that God is continuing to mold, to knit, to form you, even in your mother's womb. It is the very hands of God that knits you together. A creative God. And as we read through, as we go through Genesis. By the way, did anybody read through Genesis this week? I'm curious. I did. Whew, tell you what, it's, it's, that's, a, that's a big book for one week, I tell you. But it was exciting, okay? But, but as we read through the rest of Genesis and as we go through the Bible, we discover... That God will focus his passion, his interactions, and on these humans, these Adams. Adam, by the way, is just human, Adam. God's passion and focus is on mankind. And as we go, we are going to discover the extent that he will go through for you and me. Genesis is, is a book uh, simply meaning beginnings. When you go back to the Hebrew in which it was written in originally, the, the word is Bereshith. I think I'm pronouncing that right, but it means in the beginning. The first two words of God uh, in the scripture is Bereshith, God. In the beginning, God. What a beautiful statement. Genesis presents to us and records for us the beginning of everything you and I know except God who has no beginning. The universe that we know that we can see through the telescopes that, that we have available to us when we look at the night sky God created it. When we go to the mountains, when we go to the oceans, the deserts, all of those places in between the way we live in this gorgeous valley God created it. We see that God created mankind. And as you go through Genesis, you're going to see that he is the one who authored and created marriage. He is the one who created the, the nucleus, the, the structure of family. And even governments. God is the creator of that. We'll also discover that as we go through that, that there was something that came in that destroyed his perfect creation. It's called sin. But we're going to see a God 
who institutes sacrifice. A God who will sacrifice for you and me because of that sin. A God who will extend salvation to a man who rebelled against him. What a God. To do that for his creation. As we go through Genesis, we see governments, nations established. And specifically, we'll look at Israel. I want us to look at the author, audience, and the account real quick. I don't want to become too academic as we go through the scriptures, but there are things that as we understand them in the context of scripture, as we understand them as they are presented to us, it gives us a fuller picture of how God is is reaching out and demonstrating himself to us. The author is is Moses, and Moses won't come on the scene, guys. For over 2,000 years from Genesis 1-1. But God uses Moses to write what, what we have as the first five books of the Bible. As you look at the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, it's, it's titled the Pentateuch. Penta, five books. It's also called the Torah in, in Hebrew, which means law. These books give for us the basis and the foundation of God's law. And his law reflects himself to mankind. And and it's held that, that Moses would be writing these, and he wrote them as Israel would be journeying in the wilderness. We'll look at that next week. But the people are receiving this, and... And the audience that that receives Genesis for the very first time is the Hebrews. As they wander in the wilderness, as they are out there depending solely on God, they read the words of Genesis and they discover this God who has led them out and they learn some things. First of all, they learn who they are. Isn't that encouraging? How many of you ever asked yourself, who am I? Yeah, it's a question that, that is, is heavy on mankind's heart. Who am I? But not only would Genesis answer, who am I? It would answer, whose I am. They would discover that they belong to this God. This God who has created them. What a powerful thing to consider. Genesis is very narrative in, in its presentation, which actually made reading through it this week a whole lot easier. Okay, it's, it's like a storyline, but it's also very Hebrew in its narrative. It's kind of like spaghetti instead of a straight line. Okay, it's, it's best understood like this. You come to uh, Genesis chapter 1 and you see an overview of creation. Genesis chapter 2, we focus right on to mankind. Even though we read in Genesis 1 that God created man, male and female, right? Then you get into Genesis 4. And all of a sudden, you, you go into the storyline of Cain and all his descendants. 
And you come to the very end of his descendants, and all of a sudden, Genesis jumps back to Seth, his brother. And you go through all of those generations. It's very Hebrew in the way that it, it gives the narrative. And oftentimes, you will see an overarching narrative, and then there will be a focus in the narrative. And usually when there's a focus, you and I should focus on what's being told there because there's some significance to it. There's significance to you and I and how God formed us. We're important to him. If you leave here with nothing else today, I want you to understand that. You are important to God. We move on though. There's a lot in Genesis. There's 50 chapters, and I'm only in like chapter 4 right now. We move on. Genesis for us, as as we go through it, and and this is hard. I was so tempted. I was talking with Travis earlier this morning. So tempted to break Genesis into two sermons. I'm like, if I start doing that, Travis (laughs) said, then you start doing it into three or four, and then we'll never get done, right? No, so I'm sticking to this, but Genesis is a book. And I know I'm going to skip over things, but it is a book that lays a historical groundwork and a theological foundation. This is not just historical. This is theological. And it lays that foundation for us for the rest of the Bible. If you're curious about this, we just went through Genesis just a couple years ago. You can go online and listen to those messages and the foundation that it lays for the scriptures. But if, if the Bible is God's story of redemption for his people, if it is, then Genesis 1 through 11 tells us why redemption is necessary. Did you hear that? If if the scripture is God's redemption story for mankind and what he has done for us, then Genesis 1 through 11 tells us why that's necessary. Genesis 1 through 2, we see God's perfect creation. Genesis 3 explains how sin came and corrupted what God had made perfect. And it was made perfect because we serve a perfect God. Genesis 4 through 5 uh, gives us the, the contrasting genealogies and lines of Cain and Seth. From the line of Seth, we would see a man, Noah. And as you look at chapters 6 through 10, we see that that God brings a, a devastating flood to cleanse the earth. But Noah, I, I want you to turn in your scriptures, and we're going to turn over to Genesis 6. See, we're moving quite along. We are going to be done here in no time, right? Genesis 6, verses 5 through 8. Then the Lord saw. That to me is comforting, just those, those words right there. They should be up on the screen. There they are. Then the Lord saw. First of all, do you realize that we have a God that is observing, is watching, who is aware He's not somewhere out in the cosmos. 
And then going, oh, that's right, I have, I have earth. He is aware. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth. And that every intent of the thoughts of the heart was only evil continually. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things to the birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. Imagine the evil on earth at that time. that would burden and break and crush the heart of our God like this. Verse 8. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Some translations say grace. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. We come... To this, this man Noah and we see that God cleanses the earth in a devastating flood but he saves Noah Shem, Ham and Japheth and their wives on an ark a beautiful picture of salvation, grace extended. And this man Noah had faith. We see the covenant of the rainbow. God never again will judge the earth that way. But global warming is, is real. God says one day he will cleanse it once again through fire. Genesis 11. You know, it's amazing to me it doesn't take long for man to be depraved. We have Adam and Eve and then the first kids that they have, Cain and Abel, murder. Brother killing brother. We have Noah, and, and they, they are cleansed of all the other evil that's there, but evil resides, sin resides in the heart of man. And we see man coming together. God said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. They say, no, we're going to stay right here. And they gather together, shaking their fist at God. In fact, even allowing the pride within them to say, we will be like God. We will be greater than God. We will build this tower. And all the world will look at us. I mean, isn't that the heart of sin? Pride? God looks down at this tower, the Tower of Babel. And he says, no. I will not allow man to destroy himself in that way. And in an act of grace... God confuses the language. 
We spoke about the many languages Scripture is translated into last week. It's here at Babel, those languages were, were scattered there. They were created. Sorry about the flickering there. If you want these slides, by the way, they're online. You can get them online, no problem. It's interesting, by the time you get to Genesis 11, 2,000 years have passed from the time of creation. If you, you follow the, the genealogies, it's, it's simple to do the math. It all adds up. But from Adam to Abraham, you cover over 2,000 years. Isn't that something? And then Abraham comes on the scene. We're going to look at him in just a minute. And from Abraham to Christ is another approximate 2,000 years. And from the time of Christ to where you and I sit today is 2,000 years. I don't know. Maybe something big's about to happen. I don't know. But you know what I know is God has remained the same yesterday, today, and he will forever. He is not changed. And you know what? Man doesn't change much either. In those first chapters, we see the depravity of man. But in the next 39 chapters, we see God intervening and doing something about it. And he begins to work on man's rebellious heart. Something new is beginning. And he begins to work with a family. Genesis 12 through 50. The last 39 chapters of this book. If the Bible is God's story for redemption for his people, then Genesis 12 through 50 show us a God who initiates. God is taking the action here. God is initiating and establishing a redeemed people whom he will one day send a redeemer. I am so glad that we serve a God who cares enough to initiate. Genesis 3.15 is a beautiful statement. Man has sinned. God has caught him in the act. He's, he's called him out. And Genesis 3.15 says, and this is, this is looking ahead to the Redeemer that he would send, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between her seed and your seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. God here was speaking to the serpent who deceived Eve. And Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, disobeying God. Sin is disobedience to a holy, righteous God. But here God says, there will be a day through the seed of the woman, I will send one who will crush the head of the serpent. There's been a lot of snakes that I've dealt with in my life. The surest way to deal with one, especially a poisonous one, is to cut off the head. And here God says, I will put enmity between you 
and the woman. But I will crush his head. He will bruise my heel. Mark you. Mark, no, mark this. Mark this. What Christ did at Calvary, his death, his suffering on the cross, hurt. And Satan, for a brief moment, thought he had victory. <laughs> but three days later, Satan knows he is defeated. We serve a resurrected God. But in 3.15, God started and He declared a promise. There would be one day where a Redeemer would come. And as we go through the Scriptures, this, this scarlet thread, so to speak, through the Scripture is revealed greater and greater. In Genesis 12, 1-3, we see a very pivotal verse that is passage that is given in revealing what Christ is going to do. It's... On the screen? Yes, it is. There it is. Now the Lord said to Abram, here's Abraham, okay? God changed his name later to Abraham. It's Abram to start out with. But he says, go, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land. Back, 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 back. There we go. To the land, which I will show you. God's telling Abraham, I want you to leave behind what is. And I want you to go to what I will give you. There is a promise here, and he says, And I will make you a great nation. What a promise to give to an old man and his wife. I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. It's interesting. The ones that God blesses, are able to be a blessing to others. But listen to what God says to Abram. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you, in your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. All the families, all the nations, all people. Through the seed of Abraham would come one that all nations would find a blessing. Galatians. Yeah, we're going to be in the Old or New Testament just for a brief moment here again, okay? But Galatians chapter 3, verse 5. Nope, verse 8. Just kidding. Verse 8 says, the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. See, God is dealing right now in Genesis with a family, with a people. He's going to deal with Israel. But there's going to come a time through his descendants one would come who would bring that blessing to even the Gentiles. Most of us sitting here. And that would be through Jesus Christ. We'll see that as scripture unfolds. God establishes a covenant 
a promise with Abraham. And it's interesting that that promise, that blessing, is passed down from Abraham to his son Isaac. Abraham has other sons, but the blessing is passed to Isaac. From Isaac, the blessing is passed to Jacob, even though Isaac had two sons, Esau and Jacob. It's passed to Jacob. And as you read through the words of Genesis, you will discover that the blessing was not given by the father, even though the father tried to be the one to hand that blessing on. It was God who blesses. It's always God who extends the blessing. We see this demonstrated in Abraham's life, in Isaac's life. Genesis 15, 6. Then he believed in the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Abraham's faith. It talks about his faith, how he's the father of the faithful. Our salvation, our relationship with God has always been based on our faith. Abraham believed. And it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Genesis twenty two eighteen. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. God wants our obedience. From the very beginning, God wants our obedience. Our faith in Him. You know what I find so encouraging as, as I go through the pages of Genesis? And I went through them really fast this week, but you and I serve a God who is very, very invested in extending blessing to his people, to mankind. God would work with this family, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. It's interesting, for, for the longest while there through Genesis, for, for a couple of hundred years, he would identify himself. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But there would be a shift that would be coming, and Jacob one day would be, would be at that, that pivotal point. Is he going to go the way of the world, or is he going to follow this God of his father's? And once again, it is God who does the blessing. But he wrestled with God. He wrestled with him through the night. And when the wrestling was done, God gave him a blessing, but he also changed Jacob's name. And he changed his name to Israel. Genesis 32, 28. Look at this. He said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, which is deceiver. And Jacob was pretty good at that, by the way. I mean, read his story. He's, he's pretty slick. But your name will be Israel. For you've striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Striven, wrestled, grappled with. When was the last time you came to this book? And you wrestled with, who is God? 
Who is he here? Who is he in my life? What a beautiful picture, what a beautiful name that God would give to this man and his descendants, Israel. One who wrestles with God, and we will see that wrestling chapter after chapter, book after book, generation after generation. And if it's true, if we're honest with ourselves, we wrestle even today with who is this God? God would use this family of Jacob, of Israel. He would have 12 sons, the most of of any of of his predecessors. But as he would, um, uh, let's pull up that chart there. Look at these. You can't read up there, but if you had glasses and could see this good, I mean, this is, you know, now it's gone, right there. 12 sons. And as Genesis unfolds, we we see different narratives that deal with Dinah. We see some narratives that deal with Judah. Judah's going to be an important tribe. In fact, that scarlet thread that we were talking about, God says, with Judah, there's going to be one that would rule. He would have the king's scepter. Fascinating, since they were only a family of, at this time, maybe 70 people. But one day, the narrative in Genesis deals a great deal with Joseph. And it's interesting, we see his sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. That'll come in importance next week. We'll look at this chart then as well. But God deals with this family, with these sons. And he's going to build a nation just as he promised to Abraham. A nation, if you were to count the descendants, you might as well try counting the stars. And God would extend once again his grace, his care, as he would bring that family, that family of Israel, to the land of Egypt to spare them from well, essentially death through starvation as a famine had come. And there in the land of Egypt, God would build his people. Genesis leaves off with a beautiful segue into Exodus that we'll look at next week. But think about this. As these people in the wilderness are reading Genesis They would have been introduced to this God in Egypt. They would have discovered just the extent that this God loved them. I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know how much you need to know how important you are to God. But Genesis sets a really good foundation for you to understand that. And it sets a precedence about God that I think we need to understand this morning as we leave here. Because all too often it's easy in our minds to think of a God who is distant. One who sits on a cloud and from time to time checks in. 
who really has no idea of what you're dealing with or the feelings and emotions that you grapple with. And quite often that's the God we come to in our minds, our hearts, and our prayers. Hebrews would say this about this God who is introduced. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen is not made out of things which are visible. Psalm 92 the psalmist would write this, Before the mountains were born, or oh, you gave birth to the earth and the world. Even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Understand this morning that Scripture begins with in the beginning God because He is greater than anything that is surrounding you and I. He is greater than His creation. He is grander than the struggles that you and I deal with Monday morning, that we deal with as we leave, as we deal with in our hearts, even now listening to his word. He is far greater. He is creator. From everlasting to everlasting. Alan Ross puts it this way. In writing this work to Israel, being Genesis, Moses wished to portray God as the founder and creator of all life. The account shows that God who created Israel is the God who created the world and all who are in it. Thus, the theocracy is a founded on a sovereign God of creation. The nation, her law, her customs, beliefs, all go back to who God is. So if Israel would understand God as creator. If God created you and I, ask yourself this. Then is he in control? If he is creator, are you allowing him control in your life? If he is creator, God, then he has authority to give his law. If he's God, Creator, then what he tells us in this book holds authority in your life and mine. If he's truly Creator God, then he has the ability to redeem you and I. That brings hope. Because sin screwed things up. It created a mess. A mess that man could not make right. But a creator God sent his son to Calvary for his creation. 
if he is who he says he is, then you and I have an obligation as we go through this study to know him more. If he is creator God, if he is who he says he is, then you and I need to live life differently. Let's pray. God, in the book of Genesis, a book of beginnings, foundations, God, you set a precedence for yourself. And God, we, we look at the different individuals throughout that book. God, some better than others, but all sinners. But God, you intervene, you redeem, you extend grace and salvation. And God, you are doing the work of fulfilling your promise, and you did through your son, Jesus. This morning, we, we sit here in gratitude for sending your son. But God, I pray that as we sit here, as we leave here today, even as we fellowship together, God, that we would see you for who you are. God, what a blessing that we can serve. And not just serve, but know and have relationship with you, our holy God. So we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.